2: Guys who run these organizations who talk about analytics, they have one thing in common. They are a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get the game. Welcome to Visan's Hardwood Handicappers. As you guys look at me, you see the backwards
1: hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, Now, this guy's a chump, am I right? A
2: f-ing
0: now, here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel.
2: What's up, folks? Welcome in to another edition of Hardwood Handicappers. Yes, there is still NBA basketball going on. And in fact, today's card was Chef's Kiss. Awesome. And we are down to the final two weeks of the regular season. So we have a lot to keep track of. We have a bunch of games that are currently underway right now. that carry a whole bunch of weight. So we'll keep you up to date on those. Uh, one of which that we are watching in earnest, mainly because I have a future ticket on the Pelicans to make to the postseason at plus 440. And a win here would uh, put them well on their way to getting home court against the Lakers. in a play-in they are tied with the Los Angeles Lakers 100-all with about what uh, we'll call it 6.55 left to go in the fourth quarter. Uh, very good game in which the Pelicans dropped 41 points in the third quarter to come back from a double-digit deficit to get this contest so again we'll keep track of this game and all the rest as they're going on the bummer about today is that there are no late starts actually so all the games that are underway for the day are underway and uh, we'll have the ends of those and one very important one too by the way that just got started in the second half uh the dallas mavericks up 72 63 you talk about big quarters a 37 30 quarter for the dallas mavericks puts them up on top of the jazz and they come out of firing in the third up 14 for the third quarter of play to give them that 72 65 lead so with that, again, a lot of storylines, a lot of topics, and a lot of issues to get to with a lot of these teams. And I kind of wanted to start with what I believe to be the topic of the, I'd say, week, uh, last few weeks, and that would be the Miami Heat. Because, uh, of course, we all remember a couple of days ago, uh, the brouhaha, the dust-up that we saw unfold on the sidelines of that Golden State Warriors game between Jimmy Butler, Eric Spolstra, which, by the way, a lot of credit to Eric Spolstra, because I've always been a Spo fan but for not backing down to Jimmy Butler and continuously going at him in that fight was absolutely fantastic. Throwing the clipboard at him and telling him you coach mother bleeper, right? Like it was awesome. Fantastic from Spolstra to not back down to Jimmy Butler, who by the way, also looked like he was solo in that argument too, right? Udonis Haslam was going at him. Kyle Lowry was just trying to call a timeout and settle things down. PJ Tucker was just chugging Gatorade. Didn't really care. So it did seem like Jimmy Butler was flying solo there, but The reason why those things happen, and I don't think it's like a sell on the Miami Heat type of deal, it's when you're not having success, and that's exactly what the Heat are struggling with right now. 0-4 straight up in their last four, 1-8 against the spread in their last nine after the loss to Brooklyn on Saturday, and when you look at everything that has gone wrong for Miami, we can point to a whole bunch of things, right? Miami's last nine games, let's just look at this overall and what we've seen again. 1-8 ATS in their last nine games. A negative six net rating, meaning they've been outscored by six points every 100 possessions. Their offense is putting up 109.7 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage time minutes. Their defense is giving up 115.7 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage time minutes. And in that loss, Kyle Lowry was speaking to the media afterwards and mentioned this and said, look, like there's a lot of different things that we have to work on as a team.
1: You know, I think we are at that point where we need, we're not concerned in a sense of like panicking, but yeah, we have to fix some stuff. Um, But like I said, it's a long season, but we're getting to that point of that, um, you know, this is not a game where you say we just flush it. This is one of those games where you really have to kind of say, all right, we need to figure some things out, you know, and you know, we played a really good team, a hungry team, a talented team, and uh, they took it to us tonight on on what end of the court kyle or what specifically do you think has been the biggest problem this is what, what end of the court or what specific aspect uh, of the game has been the biggest issue both i mean honestly we scored 95 points and barely and we a team that we could possibly score 120. we have to find ways to get um more uh, shots on goals less turnovers um, we also, you know, defensive end need to kind of figure out exactly where we're going to be at all times. Um, I think we still have some indecisiveness with, you know, coverages and um, situations.
2: And it it speaks to what's been going on with Miami too, right? That guy right there, Kyle Lowry, he's missed a lot of time due to personal reasons. Bama DeBio has missed 25 games because of an injury that he suffered. So it would make some sense that there is some kind of just – Uh, inefficiencies when it comes to these guys playing together because they really haven't played that much together at this point of the season. And it also speaks to how well Eric Spolster has done up to this point with this team that they're competing for the first overall seed in the Eastern Conference. But but I think of of all the struggles we've seen from Miami up to this point, I, I do believe that the offensive struggles are the ones that we should note and the ones that are worth kind of keeping our eye on. Because on the season, the Heat's half-court offense with their starting lineup, and that would be Lowry, Robinson, Butler, Tucker, Adebayo, has been average at best. 96.6 points per 100 plays according to Cleaning the Glass. And during this slide that they're on, it's been worse. Over the last nine games, 94.5 points per 100 plays in the half-court. And that's in these half-court settings. And they're getting absolutely demolished on the offensive glass, right? They've grabbed just 21.8% of their misses in half-court situations. That's since March 9th during, again, this 1-8 ATS slide. 20.9% overall in any situation, not just half-court. So they're getting next to nothing in second chance points during this slide. And sure enough, you look at some of the numbers only 8.4 points per game in terms of second chance points during these last nine games that is dead last in the NBA over that nine game stretch. And it's not just offensive rebounding either. It's just overall rebounding. They've grabbed just 47.4% of available rebounds during this nine game slump that they've been on. And if you want to know for context's sake, that would be dead last by a mile uh, for a regular season setting. So again, it's just rebounding that has been a really big problem for them and the turnovers. The turnovers have been a really big deal offensively for the Miami Heat during this slump that they have been on. Miami averaging 13.6 turnovers per game, turning it over on 14% of their offensive possessions. And sure enough, right, to get extremely nerdy and hardcore, when you're talking about turnovers, they're allowing 1.526 points per play in transition off of steals, which is a really below average rate. So, again... You're turning the ball over. You're not getting second-chance points, which is a big deal for a lot of teams. You know, we're watching the Pelicans right now who are up 106-105 over the Lakers with a little under four minutes left to go. They thrive on second-chance points, but that's what helps, right? Second-chance points and offensive rebounds usually lead to wide-open three-point shooters, which will help you, out, uh, help you out a lot in an offensive setting. And then we just watch them with your eye, Right? There's just a lot of disjointed offensive possessions. There's not a lot of flow. There's not a ton of guys who can create their own shots. If you look at it from that standpoint, Jimmy Butler is very much a drive, create contact, get to the free throw line type of guy. Kyle Lowry's not necessarily a dude who's going to create his own shot. He has the ability to, but he's not going to be the dude who consistently can do it on a possession-to-possession basis. So I think when you're talking about the flaws of this Miami Heat team that have kind of come out over the last nine games – It's definitely watching them offensively, and it's watching them in terms of their half-court offense because that has been a consistent problem throughout this entire regular season. But the defense, I think the defense kind of works itself out at this point, right? Because, again, the defensive rating 115.7 per 100 possessions at non-garbage time minutes, it's really poor. But at the same time, when you're looking at this, right, there's a couple of things that stick out. 66.7% allowed within four feet of the basket, 46.1% on mid-range shots, which is extremely high. That's going to be something that corrects itself. Mid-range shooting, and especially hot mid-range shooting over a nine-game stretch from opponents, and think about some of the opponents they have faced, like the Brooklyn Nets, who have elite mid-range scorers in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. That would cool down. That is something that's going to vary on a game-to-game basis in over a nine, ten-game stretch. Because again, nine games is still an extremely small sample size that we're talking about here, and they've only allowed opponents... Because that 66.7% at the rim is really high, but they've only allowed opponents to take 31.9 of their attempts, uh, 31.9% of their attempts within four feet. So they're still keeping teams within four feet of the basket away. They're just hitting at a high percentage when they get to within four feet of the basket. So all of the issues, everything taken together here. It seems more dire for the Miami Heat because we saw them fight with one another a couple of days ago and Spo totally won that thing. It's because they're one and eight against the spread in their last nine games. It's because there's 0-4 in their last four, and they again were up by two points in the first quarter and then never let again against Brooklyn the other night with uh, what 323 left to go in the first. So I would, if you're a Miami Heat backer, if you have anything futures-wise on Miami, I would kind of calm down to a certain extent. But you do want to see more from this half-court offense now as we get into the postseason, especially with a, a series against Brooklyn, which we'll talk about momentarily, looming in the first round, if that's potentially going to be the case. And speaking of the first round, the Eastern Conference, it's a massive mess at this point right now. Over the last seven, eight games, this is going to be incredible to see this plays out. This is from ESPN Stats and Info, entering today. The top Eastern Conference teams, right? The 76ers at 46 and 27, the Heat 47 and 28, the Celtics 46 and 28, the Bucks 46 and 28. It was today, coming into today, the second day since 1970-71 season that the top four teams in the conference were separated by a half game through games on March 26th or later. Now that has resolved itself as a couple of these games are underway and/or final, and lo and behold, Guess who's control of the top seed right now? I see Dan Miller with a a jacket or something. Is that a jacket, a pullover? Whatever it is, Eh, Boston Celtics. They are right now the number one seed in the Eastern Conference because of tiebreakers after the results of today. So this is going to be pretty fascinating how this shakes out and what these teams want, too, because the seed that you don't want at this point right now is the two seed. You would assume that the Brooklyn Nets are going to win their first play in game. Whoever the opponent is, they're going to be heavily favored to do so so the one the 3 they have extreme they have an extreme amount of value but boston right now as it stands at 6:10 p.m. pacific time on sunday is the number 1 seed in the eastern conference by the way too today the Boston Celtics went over their win total with a victory over the Minnesota Timberwolves. So congratulations to Boston. This been... At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit,
0: every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary. At Bet365, 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4,
1: Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
2: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny
1: USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs)
0: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC
2: podcasts, if you dare. Sick turnaround for the Celtics, and I do want to touch on Boston really quickly. Uh, but we'll do that later in the show because uh, there is there's a narrative that has started to pop up over the last, uh, I'd say, week or two that I got to tell you, pump the brakes on a little bit. Remaining strength of schedule, by the way, for all these teams that we're talking about, Philadelphia has the 23rd hardest schedule left. And I would would think, I mean, Philadelphia continues to struggle. I would assume that Philadelphia, because of the way the schedule break down, has a really good shot at getting this top overall seed when you look at their schedule. Detroit twice, Indiana twice, Phoenix, Toronto, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Chicago. And that Phoenix game, you can take it out because they played Phoenix today. But how the top of the Eastern Conference shakes out is going to be absolutely nutty, man. Absolutely nutty. Okay. So we're going to talk about Brooklyn on the other side because Brooklyn, right now, they're down 85-77 to the Charlotte Hornets. But I, I will just say this as we head into the break. The more I watch Brooklyn and the more you dive into their numbers and now that we get the news that, of course, Kyrie Irving, he can play in home games, all these. I find it harder and harder to quit the uh, Brooklyn Nets. I, I'm still in on Milwaukee being the top team in the Eastern Conference, and we'll get to the details of that. But uh, I am finding it harder and harder to um, to turn my eye away. From the Brooklyn Nets in the Eastern Conference, we'll have that and much more on the other side as hardwood handicappers here on VSEN, the Sports Betting Network. More. Welcome to VSEN's Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Wendy's Breakfast is the official breakfast of March Madness. Every day, choose from Wendy's stacked starting lineup like the Breakfast Baconator, Croissant Combos, and Hot or Cold Coffee. And like any great team, Wendy's is bringing the breakfast legends. Oven baked sizzling bacon, fresh cracked eggs, perfectly seasoned breakfast potatoes, and a simply OJ to bring it home. Make a fast break to your nearest Wendy's drive-thru and pick up your Wendy's Breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. So we're winding down here in this uh, Pelicans-Lakers game, a uh, very good 50-little pick and roll from Jonas Valanciunas, uh, and he finishes. So now we're talking about a, uh, what do we got, like a 113-108 lead for the Pelicans, 59.1 left to go. This is a a very important game, very important game, because the New Orleans Pelicans, as we know, in competition with the Los Angeles Lakers, that 9-10 seed jockeying back and forth for position, came into today a half game behind the Los Angeles Lakers for the ninth seed. So a win here would put them ahead of L.A., and I believe, I'm going to double-check here, I think they have one more game left after this, but I could be incorrect uh, because they did have a backloaded schedule against one another. They do. Friday, April 1st, the Pelicans will be in Los Angeles to take on the Lakers. But with the first two games in pocket, if this indeed does go final like this with the Pelicans winning, the uh, Pelicans would be going a long way towards cementing their place in front of the Los Angeles Lakers for the ninth seed in the play-in. In the Western Conference, we'll get to that the play, and it's going to be pretty, pretty intriguing. So, let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets very quickly, because I wanted to open the show with this, but I'm long-winded. I'm a gas bag, and uh, I can talk for a really long time. So, let's talk about Brooklyn. They are down to the Charlotte Hornets right now. Again, that score, Brooklyn now down 90-81 to 81 with 233 left to go in the third. A high-powered offense like that, plenty of time to get back into this game. As LeBron James, uh, I thought there was going to be an air ball on a three in this game against the Pelicans. So, I mentioned that I kind of like I feel like I'm getting more into the key. Like, it's very attractive. You know what it is? It's the meme with the guy walking with the girl, and then the other girl's on the other side, and he keeps looking at her, and that's the Brooklyn Nets for me. And on my arm is the Milwaukee Bucks, but behind me walking away that I'm checking out are the Brooklyn Nets, because the Brooklyn Nets have looked more and more like the team we expected them to be offensively lately. Uh, Brooklyn, 7 to 3 straight up, 6 3 and 1 ATS in their last 10 games coming into today against the Charlotte Hornets. Kyrie Irving, as we know, cleared four home games, which is a very big deal because now it's not about um, road games and you know, all no. Kyrie Irving's gonna be available for every single game. And if you look over the course of the 10 games leading into today, the Nets offensively have been it's been juggernaut status. We're talking about an efficiency of 125.7 and non garbage time minutes. That's first in the NBA over those 10 games. An effective field goal percentage was 60.6%. I will let you guess. No, it's first over those 10 games. And here's what I have called the dirty little secret for the Brooklyn Nets since the trade deadline. Andre Drummond has worked out fantastically up to this point for Brooklyn. And I already thought it was a massive plus to get him, mainly because he's a body to now match up with Joel Embiid. But with him at center, it's worked out tremendously for Brooklyn. Some of the numbers, just Drummond on the floor. Anybody with him, just Andre Drummond on the floor for the Brooklyn Nets so far this season. They outscore opponents by four points every 100 possessions. Their offense averages 123.6 points per 100 possessions, and they grab 36.3% of their missed shots, or that's their offensive rebounding rate. When you pair Andre Drummond with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, it gets a little bit crazier with Drummond, Durant, and Irving all on the floor together, they, coming into today, had a plus 14.5 net rating. They averaged 140.5 points per 100 possessions and grabbed 36 or 37.6% of their misses. So this is what we're seeing offensively, and now we're going to get this thing whole. Over the last six or seven games here for Brooklyn, all of these guys are going to be able to play together with regularity, barring injury. They'll be able to work some continuity out. I'm kind of past the whole Ben Simmons thing. I, I said this, I think it was last week, whatever it is, as we evaluate these teams, kind of done. We, we played the clip last week from Steve Nash and how he kind of stumbled and bumbled his way through and answer about Ben Simmons and the uh, epidural that he had. But now as we look forward and as Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant get more and more time together and they get to work out some of these lineups and the kinks, there's still some questions about the bench and what that looks like, yada, yada. But bar, like, bottom line, in the NBA postseason, when you have two scorers who can operate and create, like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, when you have a guy like Andre Drummond who can rebound the way that he does and give those two guys second chance opportunities, this is a pretty big deal for Brooklyn. So again, I do believe that Milwaukee, who has been eh, kind of getting through the regular season, just wants to get to the tournament, still has a shot at the one seed. Have uh, they been less than impressive? I, I'm still finding myself very tempted Uh, to look Brooklyn's way. And before the season started, to be fair, in the NBA guide that we wrote, my my preseason finals was Brooklyn and Phoenix. And I think we're leaning toward that again. I think we're kind of heading in that direction. But again, Milwaukee will be my top-rated team until we get to the postseason. We can see them operate with a little bit of urgency, which they have not done. This point in the regular season. Also, a note because I thought this kind of flew under the radar, I wanted to talk about the Grizzlies really quickly. We're going to talk about John Morant, the player specifically, but I wanted to talk about his injury very quickly because it didn't really, it was kind of a whole hum headline for John Morant and this knee issue. So, to be reevaluated after two weeks, and we know this has happened a couple of days ago. If you follow the NBA, uh, you're not really hearing anything breaking for those who don't really follow the NBA. Welcome. Uh, The regular season is going to be awesome over the next two weeks, but John Morant's going to be out for at least two weeks. He's going to be reevaluated with his knee injury that has been bothering him. So Memphis is one four straight without Morant, and on this season, 16 and two straight up without him on the floor coming into today don't really believe that the end of the regular season is going to be a very big issue for the Memphis Grizzlies. They're extremely good without him on the floor. And some of the numbers, I mean, listen to some of these numbers without John Morant on the floor for the Memphis Grizzlies, because the record keeps getting thrown around. How about some of the outright statistics? And this includes the games that Morant plays just when he's on the bench. But with John Morant off the floor this season, the Memphis Grizzlies have a plus nine net rating meaning They outscore opponents by nine points, every 100 possessions. Their offense averages 114.8 points per 100 possessions, but the big number defensively 105.9 points per 100 possessions allowed when John ja Morant does not play. Opponents only put up 87.9 points per 100 plays in half-court situations. They only shoot 59.8% at the rim and 34% from deep with these lineups on the floor. It's not what they've been able to do in the regular season without Morant. They're incredible, especially on the defensive end. But, and I'm going to throw this caveat in here, I do wonder... What a playoff series looks like if Morant can't play. Because again, the key the key word here for Morant's injury is reevaluated. It doesn't mean return. It means reevaluated. He can come back he, within that two week span. Even before we saw Chris Paul come back at the very front end of his reevaluation window for the Phoenix Suns. But if he is a little bit more injured than they expected, if his knees aren't responding to rehab, kind of like Lonzo Ball with the Chicago Bulls, that report came out last week. You kind of have to look at this team from a different lens and wonder what they look like in a playoff series. Because while they are better without Morant on the floor statistically, and they are incredible defensively without Morant, I think that's his biggest flaw as a player. It's relatively obvious. Their offense, 92.1 points per 100 plays in the half court without Morant on the floor. It's a really subpar offensive rating in the half court. Now it gets a little bit better with Morant, not by much. 94 is the offensive rating in half court situations with him on the floor but when you're talking about really slow playoff series where possessions become more and more important as the series as the games go along, and especially in those fourth quarters where they really bog down, become more half-court oriented, you need a guy like John Morant who's able to create the way that he can, who's insanely wiry, can create shots and get to the rim and is explosive. You need him on the floor. No matter how much worse he makes them defensively, you do need John Morant to generate some offense for you in those half-court situations. So I just do wonder... In postseason games, when they slow down, what does this team look like if John Morant can't play? Now, Morant did kind of speak on this the other day. He tweeted out uh, the uh, Hakuna Matata gif up on Twitter. He means no worries. So, of course, he doesn't think that this is going to be a problem. But just something to think about as we move forward and get closer to the postseason. The two-week schedule is going to be April 7th. That should be the end of the reevaluation window for Morant. So keep that in mind as you get closer to that date. All right, we're final. Los Angeles Lakers beat the New Orleans Pelicans one sixteen to one oh eight. Pelicans outscore the Lakers sixty seven to thirty nine in the second half. Very big win for the New Orleans Pelicans. They will move ahead of the Los Angeles Lakers in the standings. Take control of the nine seed now. As we move into the last seven games or so of the regular season, thirty two and forty three Lakers, thirty one and forty three. And don't look now because we're gonna. No, I'm gonna say this. There's. I don't want to say the Lakers are in danger of missing out on the play-in, but it's not a given that they're going to grab this 10th seed. So we'll get to that when we talk about the uh, the Western Conference play-in. So let's talk about the Eastern Conference very quickly. And we'll we'll have a lot of this as we kind of move forward to the show because as we talked about entering Sunday, the, the top is crazy, right? Four, four teams all within a half game of each other, past March 2nd, blah, blah, blah. The bottom is even more wild than the Eastern Conference. Entering Sunday, the Bulls are in control of the fifth seed, only a game up on Toronto, who's sixth, who is only a game up on Cleveland, who is seventh, and then there's a two-game gap between Cleveland and Brooklyn. But those three teams, Chicago, Toronto, and Cleveland, how this plays out between them is going to be very fascinating. And we're going to get to some of the numbers because as you look in terms of the odds to make the postseason up at DraftKings, we have all these Eastern Conference teams listed. Atlanta, Cleveland, Chicago, Charlotte, Brooklyn, and Toronto. There are two plays that really stick out at plus prices that still have, I think, when you evaluate everything, some value that are worth playing. And a shout-out to Doug Kazarian, too, who has uh, joined me on the podcast before. And right after the All-Star break, touted the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers at 12-1 to to potentially miss the postseason. Well, right now, the Cavaliers are in the play-in with a first-round matchup against the Brooklyn Nets on deck if this plays out. So we'll get to details on this. There's a couple of plus prices in that market that are worth looking at and in the Western Conference as well. Hardwood Handicappers here on Visa, the Sports Betting Now. Welcome to Vison's Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. We are. Into the final four. Don't worry. It's Harvard Handicappers. We're talking about the NBA. We're going to talk some college hoops too. Grab a five-hour energy to stay alert. Watch all your favorite games. Or if you stayed up late to see that intense overtime game, take a five-hour energy shot in the morning so you can energize your day. Zero sugar and an unbeatable blend of vitamins, nutrients, and caffeine. It's a perfect pick-me-up for getting stuff done. Go to 5hourenergy.com to find over 15 flavors to choose from. The flavors like grape, tropical burst, cherry, blue, raspberry, and more. There's a flavor for everyone. Get a five-hour energy today. So we have two games left in the NBA today, both are pretty important, for the most part when it comes to seeding, play-ins, all of those good sort of things uh, in the Western Conference. And we're going to have more on these two teams coming up in about 15 minutes. The uh, Dallas Mavericks have used the middle quarters here. Michael Lombardi likes to emphasize the middle quarters in football, but the middle quarters very important in basketball as well, at least so far. Outscoring the Utah Jazz 69 to 50. Nice to. Take a 99 to 85 lead right now with about 759 left to go in the fourth. Now, this game really matters because these two teams are jockeying for fourth and fifth in the Western Conference. So, a win here would give either the Jazz a very good lead with the last few games left to go. It would be a full game lead over Dallas. Or the Mavericks can surpass Utah and take that spot for the fourth seed. You see it right there, both tied at 45 and 29 coming into today. So, that would be a pretty big victory for either team. When it comes to home court, it does seem like they're kind of cemented in that 4-5 or five spot. But we will discuss the fate of the Utah Jazz momentarily. So we were talking about the Eastern Conference play-in situation. Oh, and very quickly, the other games that are underway. Uh, the Nets using a, uh, a very poor third quarter to fall behind to the Charlotte Hornets, 97-91. to 91. That's about 9.35 left to go in the fourth quarter there. So update that one. Let's talk about some of these Eastern Conference play-in teams because this is a relatively important game. Charlotte can move into a tie with Brooklyn. They're a game back behind the Nets right now for the eighth seed. So, again, jockeying for position, getting a seed, why that matters, of course, for Charlotte. For those who don't remember with these play-in rules, 7-8, you only got to win one, and you're in. 9-10, you got to win two to get in. So getting that eighth seed, although you'd be on the road against a team either Cleveland, Toronto, or Chicago, it would be very important to get there because you get two bites at the apple if you're in there as opposed to just one if you're in the 9-10 range so what i wanted to talk about was cleveland because when you look at this market when it comes to yes no make the playoffs and coming into today over at draftkings the cleveland cavaliers uh yes minus 310 to make it to the postseason no plus 220 And that's the first one that sticks out immediately when you're talking about some of these prices. After the loss to Chicago on Saturday, uh, let's hear from J.B. Bickerstaff because this is the first time in a while for the Cleveland Cavaliers that they're on the outside looking in. And he talked about the fact that, look, we have to accept this reality that we as Cleveland are on the outside of this picture right now.
0: No, it's part of it. We got eight games left um, to go figure out what we got to do to get it done. And no matter what the results are, no matter... Um, you know where we finish in the standings you know I know our guys will compete hard enough to give us a chance and I'm confident in that
2: by the way NBA coaching like your voice has to be horrendous sometimes right because you're screaming and yelling all all the time Uh, but it hasn't gone well for the Cleveland Cavaliers since Jared Allen's injury and this is what makes this really fascinating this situation for Cleveland since Jared Allen's injury they're now four and six straight up 271 against the spread. They've been outscored by about four points every 100 possessions, specifically 3.9. And their defense, this is the biggest key for Cleveland. Since Jared Allen's injury in that game against Toronto, they've given up 118.6 points per 100 possessions in non garbage time minutes. And the defensive rating, the biggest difference without Allen on the floor because Evan Mobley, who I think is rookie of the year, I have a ticket on, so take that with a grain of salt because I am biased. Mobley's much more comfortable power forward. And some of these numbers dictate this, by the way. If you look at cleaning the glass, which separates these guys by position, gives you percentage of minutes played, whatnot, when Evan Mobley is playing power forward, the net rating is plus one, but the key difference is defensively for the Cleveland Cavaliers. With Evan Mobley at power forward, the Cleveland Cavaliers give up 108 points per 100 possessions. With him playing center, they're giving up 113.7. Their offense is better because there's some mismatches, right? When when you're playing the five, if you're Evan Mobley, who's much more athletic than opposing bigs, you can take him out of the perimeter, you can beat him off the bounce a little bit. So the offensive rating is much better with Evan Mobley at center. 115.3 as as compared to 109 with him at power forward. But the big difference is that defensive rating. And opponents, big difference, not so much in rim defense, because you would think, Well, if Evan Mobley's struggling at center, they must suck at protecting the rim, right? But that's actually not the case. It's the perimeter defense that suffers. With Evan Mobley on the floor at power forward, they're actually giving up 56.7% within four feet of the basket. At center, it's a little worse at 64.8, but you can get by with a a rim defense like that. The biggest difference is with Mobley at power forward, opponents shoot 35.8% from three compared to 38% when he's at center. So the question is, well, he's playing center. What is his what perimeter defense? Well, think about that. With Mobley power forward, you can get out there. You can do what he does best. You can contest three-point shots. You can alter looks at the basket. You can do those sort of things with his long arms, his athleticism. He can hedge and help. You're much more prone to be able to do that along the perimeter when you're playing power forward, where in today's day and age, power forwards, for the most part, are now playing a little bit more perimeter-oriented. When you're playing center, you got to stay with your guy a little bit more down low. you got to box out. you got to fight for rebounds. And so I think that's why you've seen this. And so now, as we're looking at Cleveland as it is over their last few games without Jared Allen, how much poorly, uh, how much poor they are on the defensive end of the floor, and then you look at everything overall, and you kind of see that there isn't much of a path for them to make it out of the play-in at this point. They have Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Dallas, Atlanta left on top of two games against Orlando and a game against New York. Uh, the New York game is going to be much more challenging because without Allen, they're similarly power-rated to the Knicks, who won today against the Detroit Pistons. And then once in the play-in, you'd assume they are losing right now, but you'd assume that you're going to host Brooklyn and then the winner of Charlotte, Atlanta. That has not gone very well this season because even if it's Charlotte, let's say, who beats Brooklyn, who takes the eighth seed, and it's Cleveland and Charlotte in that first round that the Cavaliers are facing, well, they've split the four games against the Charlotte Hornets this season. They have actually have a negative 7.9 net rating against the Charlotte Hornets this year The Cleveland Cavaliers do. Against Atlanta, they're 1-2, and two, and they have a negative 2.2 net rating. So that's been a little bit closer, but still, they've lost two out of three against the Atlanta Hawks. So now, putting this all together, we have Cleveland, who's a game out of the sixth seed right now with a pretty challenging schedule, losing records to Atlanta and a losing record against Atlanta, not records, a losing record to Atlanta, and while you split the season series, you have been blasted in a couple of the games against the Charlotte Hornets, and the other opponent waiting for you in that play-in is the Brooklyn Nets, who at one point you'll have to play. So this is, I think to me, when you're talking about yes, no, playoff, and how these should be priced, to tell me I'm getting plus 220 on Cleveland not to make the postseason, it seems like a pretty solid bet to me, and that was coming into today, so we'll see if today's results alter some of those But I would say that Cleveland, these odds should be much tighter, much closer to pick for them to make the postseason as over a $2 favorite to make the postseason right now. And I do think, right, by the way, that the rebuttal could be that Allen could return. But let's hear from J.B. Bickerstaff one more time because you could say, hey, man, Jared Allen could be back at some point. But listen to Bickerstaff here because he's pretty vague on the return. Is Jared's 10th game out? Are we any closer? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I honestly can't tell you that, um, you know, again,
1: it's bone, and it's just a matter of, you know, how it heals and all those things. So, um, has he been able to do anything, JB? I know he's still got that big splint on, has he, has he done anything?
0: Yeah, he's been able to, I mean, you know, what we can't, yeah, what we can do with him. Um, you know, the pain has decreased to a point where, you know, he can start to do, uh, or has
1: started to do more things.
2: So, the four seeds in the play-in right now in the Eastern Conference, Cleveland, Brooklyn, Charlotte, Atlanta. I have made the case that Cleveland is not going to be one of the two seeds. I am going to be safe in assuming that Brooklyn is one of the two. So, if Brooklyn makes it out, we can assume that that's going to be the case. Then who is going to be the eighth seed or the second seed in this play-in? Well, let me direct your eyes to the Charlotte Hornets. Because since the All-Star break, the Charlotte Hornets seem to have woken up. They're 9-5 and five straight up, 8-6 and six against the spread. They have a plus 5.4 net rating, very solid, above average. Again, they're up right now over the Brooklyn Nets. Their offense has really kicked it into gear. If you remember, if any of you had listened to the podcast, or I think we talked about this um, when we started the show, maybe the very first episode, the Hornets went into the All-Star break in a really bad slump. It was like 1-8 or 1-9 in 10 games or 9 games. Their offense had just gone to the toilet. There are a lot of really good indicators that Charlotte was going to break out of that given shot quality and all of those good things uh, that metrics can tell us. And sure enough, in the second half, second half, since the All-Star break, they have the fifth best offensive rating in the NBA. So now we're talking about Charlotte, who has also had its way with Atlanta's defense like many have. Season series tied 1-1, but Hornets are plus 9.3 in the regular season in terms of net rating against the Atlanta Hawks and has averaged 122.1 per 100 possessions in those two games. We mentioned the net rating against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So Cleveland's the seventh seed, and we're talking about Brooklyn and Atlanta. And Atlanta's a, a, I was going to say something that was probably not appropriate for uh, the network, but a very poor defensive team. To me, all signs point to two things here in this market. It is the Cleveland Cavaliers to miss out on the postseason at a plus 220 price, and you can get the Hornets in the range of three to one to make the postseason at this point right now. Atlanta. I've mentioned this before. Wrote about it this week up on the website. In the three things to watch, clutch defense—one of the worst in the in the league. The Atlanta Hawks' defensive rating overall—one of the worst in the league. They have not turned things around. They continue to lose games that they should not. They continue to perform very very poorly on the defensive end of the floor. In the minutes without Trey Young, their offense is very, very much hit or miss. So, the way that this is looking right now, you're talking about two pretty good plus prices plus 220 on the Cavaliers to miss the postseason, plus 295 on the Charlotte Hornets to make the postseason. And I think that's the way you should probably attack the Eastern Conference play in race. Let's talk about the Western Conference play race. Let's talk about most improved player. Let's talk about a lot of things here as you wrap up the first hour when we come back. And in the second hour, we start to look at Monday. And don't worry, it is hardwood handicappers We talk about the NBA. But for those who know, I like college hoops. We'll get to the final four as well. The Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Right, let's continue our conversations about the conferences here. We just spoke a little bit about the Western or the Eastern Conference, the play-in situation. The East is the first round, actually, from the play-in all the way through for both conferences, is going to be absolutely wild when you're talking about Lakers and whether or not they're going to make it in their play-in situation right now and control the 10th seed, only a game up on the San Antonio Spurs what's going to happen in the Eastern Conference, both play-in, seeding, first round. Uh, It's going to be quite a bit of fun regardless. Let's talk about the Western Conference play-in race now and how this could potentially shake out not as wild as the Eastern Conference up top, but there's still plenty to be decided. Top of the top of the conference pretty much settled, right? Phoenix is going to be the first overall seed. They clinched it the other day with a win over Denver. Memphis likely going to be the second seed. They're three-and-a-half game lead with seven games left to play that was coming into today. Warriors ended up losing to the Wizards, so I think it's four now at this point when it comes to the uh, NBA standings in the Western Conference. We'll double-check on that and confirm it. Uh, yes, it is now four games up, nine to 13. Um Memphis, so it's not clinched, but they're likely going to be the second overall seed. And Golden State, uh, they're now, what, two and a half games up on the Utah Jazz. So At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary.
0: We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
3: now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: See if that actually holds, but you'd assume that Golden State could do enough um, to hold on to that. and. It's actually only two and a half games on the Utah Jazz. Now, this game is about to go final, 114 to 100. Jazz are going to fall to the five. Denver, Dallas, is going to move up to the four, so you get some switches there. It does seem very likely that Golden State would hold on to the three, but I would not um, put that in stone, given how poorly this team has played here without Stephen Curry. So this is where you kind of get into the wild part about this. So let's focus on what's going to happen here. So Dallas and Utah, it's officially final, 114 to 100. Mavericks will move into control of the fourth seed. Jazz... Have their losing streak extended to 0 and 3 or 0 and 4 straight up at ATS after this loss here to the Mavericks. And this is where it gets, I think, kind of dicey for Utah because they're not playing well. They are injured and banged up. Rudy Gobert took the day off again today. Bojan Bogdanovic has missed time as well. And when you talk about being the driver's seat for the fourth seed and the way the rest of the regular season schedule breaks down, the Jazz have quite the challenge in front of them. According to Tankathon coming into today, they had the fourth hardest schedule left in the NBA. Their next game is on the road against the Clippers. They're going to come back home for the Los Angeles Lakers. Then they go to Golden State. They go with a two-game two homestand very quickly against Memphis and OKC. Uh, in three games, actually, because then Phoenix is there before they wrap up on the road against Portland. That last game against Portland could very much matter. But what does it matter about? Because it could be for the fourth seed, or it could be for the sixth. Because... If you look at the way the Denver schedule, who is right now the sixth seed in the Western Conference behind the Utah Jazz, Denver's got a pretty manageable schedule. They're on the road against Charlotte, coming up next. They're at Indiana. They come back home against Minnesota, which is a massive, massive game because those two right now are six and seven. That could make the difference for the play-in. After that, you're talking about a road game against the Lakers, back home against San Antonio, Memphis, and then the Lakers one more time for the Denver Nuggets. So when all is said and done, the Jazz, who again are in the middle of a four-game losing streak at this point right now, could be the sixth seed, especially once you consider recent form and injury. Doesn't really become that crazy of a thought here. And now let's talk about Utah overall, because this team, there are some bigger picture things here with Utah. If you read reports and the rumblings that's coming, you know that come out of the Jazz franchise, it does seem like this is a boomer bust type season, and it is going to be a bust season in terms of keeping this team together. Quinn Snyder has been rumored for the San Antonio job. The Los Angeles Lakers job was the most recent report as well. I believe it was Mark Stein who had that report in terms of Quinn Snyder being up for a couple of other jobs, even though he's got a couple of years left on his contract with the Utah Jazz, I believe. Um, And then you look at coming into today, just March alone for Utah, seven and seven straight up three and 11 against the spread. That's going to go to seven and eight straight up three and 12 against the spread in their last 15. A plus 3.2 net rating, but their defense hasn't been great. 112.5 points per 100 possessions allowed. And that defensive rating is with Rudy Gobert coming into today, playing every game but one in the month of March. They're also missing, as I mentioned, Bojan Bogdanovic since March the 9th. He's missed seven straight and eight of the last nine. And the numbers without him on the floor are not very good with Utah Uh, Excuse me, with Bogdanovich off for Utah, and Conley, Mitchell, and Gobert on, they've been outscored by five points every 100 possessions. They're giving up 115.6. He's their only relatively solid perimeter defender in terms of the ability to stop dribble penetration and stay in front of a guy. We saw all those shortcomings come up last year in that loss to the Los Angeles Clippers in the postseason. So now all of those flaws are being exposed right now. It's just... It's extremely, extremely negative right now for the Utah Jazz when it comes to not only the jockeying for seating and where they're going to finish in the Western Conference, but then what's going to happen in the first round and who they end up matching up with? A Memphis-Utah series, for example, would be pretty interesting because the Jazz are kind of beat up shorthanded and not playing well. And Memphis, we talked about, yeah, they might have John Moran, they might not. We'll see if that's going to be the case. So how it breaks down and who their first round matchup is going to be is going to be pretty fascinating. What if Dallas makes the move to three because the Golden State Warriors start to fail, and all of a sudden you talk about a three-six matchup between Dallas and Utah? So there's a lot to be settled in the Western Conference standings. But I think out of all of this, Utah might, to some people, look somewhat tempting when you have an all-star, an all-star guard in Donovan Mitchell who can score in bunches, who has done very good things in the postseason, who we have seen offensively operate at an extremely elite level in the postseason at times. But it does seem like this is kind of the end of the road for Utah and. This is for another episode of Harvard Handicappers. But what that means for next season in terms of blowing it up, where Donovan Mitchell ends up, what that could mean for Utah. Did they split with Rudy Gobert? Because there were reports that those two still don't get along very well. So very dramatic, all drama-filled. But I think at the end of the day, the focus here is on the fact that the Utah Jazz very much look like they're going to be an early exit given how poorly they have played here down the stretch, their injury situation, and just the way that the conference could break down. So... And and this is, I I want to mention this really quickly, and I'm kind of excited about this mainly because this would be such good, like, I'm I'm a Clippers guy, so I would love to see the Lakers fail to a certain extent. Um, But with this loss, the Lakers were only a game up on the San Antonio Spurs. The San Antonio Spurs, by the way, the end of their schedule, check out the way the schedule ends for the San Antonio Spurs, because they played Portland the other night, right? They have the Rockets next, They have two more meetings with the Portland Trailblazers, both at home, and they also have Denver, Minnesota, Dallas, uh, and then Golden State mixed in there, too. So there are some challenging games there, but when you're talking about three of your final few games against the Rockets and the Portland Trailblazers, I mean, don't sleep on the Spurs being able to potentially make a push here when it comes to the 10th seed. And the Lakers continue to lose these games. It would be pretty incredible to watch the Los Angeles Lakers not just miss out on the postseason – but miss out on the play-in tournament because the San Antonio Spurs catch them because they have two games against the Portland Trailblazers and a game against the Houston Rockets left on the schedule. So congratulations, by the way, to the San Antonio Spurs who went over their win total the other day. We talked a little bit about Memphis and San Antonio, too. Both have most improved player of the year candidates. And we'll have more details on this in the second hour. But if you had noticed, if you're someone like me who, who's been chopping around in these awards markets and looking around, you'll notice that the most improved player of the year market has actually been pulled down in quite a few spots. Well, that comes on the heels of the news that John Morant's not going to be reevaluated for two weeks. And what this means for the race is it's going to be something worth monitoring. And I don't even know how you monitor it, but it's definitely important, right? It doesn't mean nothing because it's most improved player and it's defensive player of the year that have two favorites that have missed an extraordinary amount of time. John Morant now at DraftKings... I think it was off the board last I looked. Screen up there says minus 800. But for those who've been keeping track of this market, he was... Okay, so it's up now, as my producer tells me. So it's up to minus 800. But it was minus 1,600 a couple of days ago before the John Morant news he was going to miss two weeks and be reevaluated after that timeline. So you cut the odds in half. What is interesting here is how much is too much in terms of missed time for John Morant. We'll get to the resumes of the others, but just in terms of missed time. If you go back in history, the... The winner of this award with the most missed games in recent history is Jimmy Butler. Uh, That was the 2014-2015 season. He missed 17 games and won it. Uh, The odds for excuse me, the amount of games if Morant comes right back at that two-week mark of being reevaluated, he'll have missed 23 games, and it's extremely likely that it's 24 because if he comes back at that point, it's a back-to-back against New Orleans and Boston, and you would assume because of a knee injury and you're staring at meaning nothing in a game against Boston, right, an Eastern Conference foe when you have the two seed locked up, they probably wouldn't play in that game. So now it's probably 24 games that he's missed. Do you overlook 24 missed games and still give him most improved? Do games played matter for a category like most improved? You told me, no, I would totally understand it, but you do have to adjust the odds to a certain extent because of that. And on top of that, Tyrese Maxey, Darius Garland, who is the second choice right now up on the board, Desmond Bain, and DeJounte Murray all have incredible resumes to win this award outside of challenging Moran. So how this shakes out, and we'll get to the numbers for all five of these guys in terms of their resumes to win this award, but what does time missed mean for awards like Most Improved, for Defensive Player of the Year? Rudy Gobert missed another game today, so you've got Bam Adebayo, who has missed 25. Rudy Gobert, who's missed an exorbitant amount of games as well, how do these shake out for these awards? I, I think, and because there's so much, there's so much at stake in terms of the odds at the way his, these have moved. I'm also involved in both of them. But Darius Garland's case is absolutely incredible to win most improved player of the year. John Morant's own teammate, who he consistently actually puts up for most improved because he doesn't want the award. Desmond Bain has a really good resume for most improved player. So if John Moran has missed 24 games as we end the regular season, does that eliminate him for contention? So we'll get to the resumes of these four guys, what it means for the award race, and just just the resumes overall and how much they could actually push for this award if you kind of remove the names and looked at the pure numbers. We'll get back to that much more in the second hour here on Howard Handicap.